Watch comics! Hey, Michael. Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. Well, you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Um, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics, and then we talk about them, because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. Then we sing badly. Yes, well, badly is purely subjective. But how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Aikis Comics every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com. I find their illogic and foolish emotions constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak. Along the circus, right next to the dog-faced boy. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, worm-headed sack of monkey shit. Ah! Hallelujah! Holy shit! Where's the Tylenol? And now... Together by live simulation via the internet. Andrew Leyland. He's in it? British. And Chris Honeywell. Boy, is he strange. It appears we have lost our sex appeal, Captain. Yes. Welcome back to Two True Freaks. This is a... I don't know what kind of episode this is. We're just going to slap a number on it and call it um, Walking Dead Set, Rotten Apples and Rotten Oranges. And this is this is something uh, that, uh, well, eh, it was, it, it, I was going to say that I came up with, but I didn't come up with it. It was more, it was more inspired by uh, Mr. Uh, Andrew Leyland, who is here with me tonight. Hello, everybody. You all right, Chris? Yeah. It's nice to speak to you. Yes, it's and and I say tonight because it's it's actually not tonight at all. It's four forty-four a.m. for me, and it's it's what nine forty-four a.m. for you. Nine forty-four a.m. for me. Yes. So we're on we're on the two extremes. And uh, and uh, surprisingly, this isn't very late for me. I don't know. Is this very early for you, or this is probably very normal for you because you got a job and, and kids? And, I've got and Friday off because I work late on Monday night, so I've packed all the kids off to school and then. Is, here is we are. No- 
normal for you for podcasting though or do you, you oh no you, you usually have to end up at the weird odd like you know 5 30 in the morning if i'm doing a round table type thing with you it's normally pretty early in the morning but when yeah. it's just when it's just scott and i on the six million dollar man one he accommodated me which was very nice of him uh, and when I record with Michael for our show, Hey Kids Comics, you should be listening to it. It's very good. Uh, we do that, obviously, in the same room together on a digital yeah. recorder, so there's no hassle, though. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that makes it all the, all the more easier. Yeah. And I've heard rumors. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to say anything before anything happens, but I heard there's been a little bit of talk of between some of those younger generation of podcasters from... From your world and yeah, from the two true Scotty, freaks world. Scotty Gardner and uh, Michael are interested in doing a show together, and a couple of other people have said we can join it as well. So they're trying to sort that out at the minute. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I think it'd be great. Yeah, it's like the um, the Teen Titans or something like that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I like Sons of the Freaks. <laughs> Sons of Freaks. Yeah. <laughs> Sons of the Freaks was another one on the message board that I thought was really funny. <laughs> Two True Freaks Deep Space Nine doesn't quite work. That's a good name for teenagers, too, because it doesn't necessarily brand them as freaks, which as a teenager you may not want to be uh, uh, own, the, own the name freak as much as, say, Scott and I do. We've <laughs> just come to accept it. So, you know, they can pawn it off on their parents, which is very easy for teenagers to do. And yeah. Well, Michael's fun, fun for more, them to do. Michael's much more confident in himself at that age than I ever was. He doesn't give a fuck what people say or think about I, what he or what he reads. I envy the young nerds of today because they, yeah, they, they, they are, I don't know if it's them or the, the environment they live in or some combination, but they get, they get to do what they want pretty mm. proudly. And that's, that's pretty awesome. And not that, not that like, Scott and I got to do that in high school, but yeah, we were pretty roundly shunned for it. Yeah, no, worries, worries. he's embraced for it. His art teacher loves all his superhero artwork and all of that stuff. I wish I was that confident at 16, to be honest with you, but I wasn't, so. I don't know if I was confident as much as just obnoxious. <laughs> oh, well, he's that as well. <laughs> I was I was pretty much obnoxiousness mixed with, with low self-esteem. <laughs> is not a not a pretty combination. <laughs> you do want to go back in time and slap yourself. No, no, no. It's led me to this, and now I've now I've got it to channel into this. Excellent. Now now, now people actually want to listen to it. So uh, people actually line up for the obnoxiousness. So <laughs> ah, you know, I love this enabling society. Well, anyway, hey, I'll mention what the show is about. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Less people that we're just going to ramble on for an hour or so. <laughs> well, you know, at least they have an MP3 with a title on it, so they'll have some sort of idea. But we're, we're calling this set, uh, Walking Dead Set. It's a, it, it was an event. It, we were talking about calling it Dead Set versus Walking Dead. I don't know. We're, we we weren't really didn't have our hearts into battling over which one's better because, as the title says, it's rotten apples and rotten oranges. But Dead Set, for uh, I know a lot of people. You know, we've had our Walking Dead coverage, so I, I imagine a, you know a lot of our listeners are more familiar with The Walking Dead than they are with with uh, Dead Set. Is, is Dead Set commercially available in America? I 
don't know. I would imagine it is, and if it isn't, it's probably on some in some form on uh, Netflix mm. or you know as some sort of ca- cable pay per view on the the on people's digital cable or something. Because I couldn't see why. At least, if it isn't, maybe it will be soon. Because with the with the success of The Walking Dead, yeah, you know, there might be some demand for. It, but then again, there was a wonderful Canadian show called uh, Trailer Park Boys that I'd been waiting yeah. to come on American TV in some way, shape, or form for years, and it, it looks like it it just never is going to. You know, it's just going to live on DVD. Yeah, we but, got that over here. I think we got that on Channel Four, Trailer Park Boys. It's a, a hilarious, hilarious show. And, uh, but, uh, Dead Set was, was, it, it was a, I guess you'd call it a mini series. It was a five episode, um, it was, it was made by the BBC, obviously, right? Because, no, it was made by Channel 4. Well, it was made by, um, Endemol, a, a separate production company for Channel 4. Um, do you want me to do the spiel for Dead Set? Yes, because I, don't know anything about okay. it besides who who wrote it and right. uh, well dead set was the brainchild of charlie brooker who's a journalist broadcast and now writer over here in the uk he, he achieved his prominence on bbc four's screen wipe show um over here we've got bbc one bbc two bbc three and bbc four one and two are the standard available to everybody channels one's very mainstream two's a bit more off the wall bbc three's utter shit Normally, shows like I Was Pregnant at 14, that kind uh, of Ah, yeah, 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 okay. Inadvertently, Fox. they will occasionally show something of quality, but I think that's a mistake. Uh, and BBC Four's the arty stuff. They'll have seasons devoted to musicians you've never heard of and documentaries about things that are very low-key. Jonathan Ross's Steve Ditko documentary was on BBC Four. And Brooker uh, has achieved a certain measure of, of notoriety for his, his screen wipe show, where he basically rips the piss out of television, but he does it in a very oh. fur way. Fur and balanced, I think would be the, the words. Uh, he also does news wipe where he looks at different news, the way news is presented around the world, not just here and in the US. And um, he was a TV critic, and he eventually started to put his foot into writing television, and this was the first thing that he did. Dead Set is a zombie thriller, although once again, they don't actually use the word zombies anywhere set in the big brother house now big brother i don't know again if you got this in america yes we do right big brother's a reality tv show where a bunch of the scum of the earth are picked (laughs) up thrown into a house and forced to live together for god knows it always feels to me like it runs for years but it must only run for a couple of weeks and uh he it follows the template of the base under siege storyline where you're trapped in one location, in this case, the Big Brother house. It was stripped over five nights here in the UK. Uh, the first episode being 45 minutes was on Monday, and then the subsequent four episodes of 25 minutes showed every day. Uh, it is remarkably good television. Yeah, Bottom that's line. for sure. Um, the Big Brother stuff is quite inspired. The only thing wrong with that in the very first episode is one of the guys, uh, the guy who plays... Um, Oh, I've forgotten his name. Rock Joplin. Yes. Is an actor called Kevin Eldon, who's actually moderately famous over here. You know, in the, it's that guy kind of way. Oh. And when I watched it for the first time, none of the others were particularly well known at the time. Although the, the, the bloke, the main central handsome bloke, has gone on to some measure of success with something with David Tennant. But you instantly spotted him and it took you out of it slightly. 
because all the others were unknowns. They worked as Big Brother contestants. Yeah, it's basically like Dennis Hopper in Land of the Dead or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. suddenly you're going, it's him, rather than, ooh. And that, I mean, he's very good at it. Well, that was what's good. I guess that's what's good for me is I have no I, no idea. So I totally had never seen him before. So he was just that was that's that was one of the well, it, it, great things about it for me is I'm not familiar with any of the actors or actresses, which is a thing I love about zombie movies. I love yeah. having no names in there. Yeah. Well, again, Jamie Winston, who was who's cast as Kelly, who's the, the lean protagonist. Mm-hmm. She's gone on to be quite a successful actress. She's the daughter of. Um, What's his name? Winston. Ray Winston. Oh, okay. He from in... from uh, Crystal Skull. Yeah, he was in Crystal Grove. He's over here. He's quite famous. He was um, Will Scarlet in Robin of Sherwood back in the 80s. And he's gone on to have got a very successful film career, normally playing ex-prisoners. He was in... Um, he's got prison. that look about him. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's the original Who's the Daddy. He's the originator of that from um, Scum. Is it Scum, the prison movie, the 70s prison movie? He's the one who... Who's, who's the daddy? He's the starter of that. Uh, you see, she she had... She has the... she That actress had the prototypical British spunky actress about her. You know, the... She's, she's an excellent actress, Jamie Winston. Yes. Really. She's in... Have you seen Donkey Punch? No, I haven't. It's a horror movie about a bunch of British girls on holiday who meet up with a bunch of guys and they go out on a boat and... The, this bloke tells them the sexual position maneuver, whatever you want to call it, donkey punch. Yes, I, and obviously hijinks ensue. It's I, worth I, down. It's a pretty good film. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I, I knew a bunch of teenagers when I used to work in a Mexican restaurant who wrote a. They were little skinny white guys, and they were these little quiet nerd guys. And all of a sudden, they came, they came in. They go, "We made a rap album, and it was a, a um, concept album, completely about donkey punching." Right, and that was well, that's, first... that's the, the premise of that film. So she's got hey. quite a good career. But um, uh, yeah, she was she was very good. At, all the actors I thought were very very good in it. The guy who played the producer in um, Patrick. Jeez, uh, I I I you know I he was great. I think that role could have. I I think I would have loved seeing. I think Charlie Brooker could have been that role. That was like when when I saw him, that was where I saw Charlie Brooker the most in this um because i've i've i'm i'm familiar i've seen pretty much i've seen pretty much all the screen wipes and the news wipes and then he had a show called and i can never get it right whether it's how tv ruined your life or how tv ruined my life what the title of it yeah and i think I, there were like four episodes of that which was basically sort of like screen wipe but just in a more general sense yeah just through, about through the ages wasn't it right and uh and now he's doing the the Black Mirror, which is sort of like a Twilight Zone. You know, each one is its own science fiction story, but it's all sort of based on TV. So as soon as I started watching Screenwrite, it was all over. I was gonna find everything that Charlie Brooker ever did because I love him. He's he's a cynical, funny bastard. He he yeah. So he is, but he he has but. The thing about misanthropes that I find appealing is I think misanthropes usually have a higher moral bar than most people. So a lot of what is like taken as his hatred for humanity is really his just frustration at the general lack of scruples and humanity around him. Yeah. He's in well, the TV business, which is 
which is horrifyingly soul killing. <laughs> and but he calls it out, and I love how he he's always breaking the third wall, and he's always. He's always doing a scene. He's like, "Oh well, we'd like to use we'd use this song right here, except it would cost us this amount of money to do it, or we would have liked to do this in this scene, but it would have cost us this amount of money because we would have had to do this, you know." Yeah, and it's he, very good. Did you see his end of the year review this year on BBC Four? Did you not I, get to catch that? I don't think I have seen that yet. Every year he, he does his own round. Oh no, of I the did. Year. I did. You sent me the link to it. Yeah, Actually, I it was like the whole show was on YouTube. It was yeah. great. Yeah, and um, like you say, he's misanthropic, but he's it, it. It does come from a place of just utter despair, and I don't think that was encapsulated more than in that year-end roundup they did, where he was talking about the UK riots, where mm. it, it was is just utter despondency. That this wasn't politically motivated, because if it was, we could have understood it. And it wasn't motivated by the fact that the rich get richer and the poor just get shat on at every available opportunity, which, again, we could understand. He was just so annoyed that it was about having the biggest television and a new pair of trainers. Yeah. Well, you could... You, I mean, in America, when we were looking at that, you know, it depended on who, what, what news channel was, was skewing the view of it. But, you know, if you were coming from the left side, it was just like, oh, look, economic disparity is finally, you know, rearing its ugly head in Britain. And we should watch as they're, you know, they're like a canary in the coal mine. They're ahead of us on, you know, um, the, the, the um, so, you know, society, cameras being around, spying on them and stuff. So this is what is coming to America. And uh, then you had people going, no, it's just, uh, and then. Then you would have the then in the Charlie Brooker show you see interviews with the actual people on the street and it's just like oh god, <laughs> yeah. nobody has you know no there's there's a the the people who do spout a philosophy about it have just obviously heard it and are just sort of mouthing it like kids in school who are telling their teacher what they want to hear they're just like I don't know the rich you know and they're holding a TV going the rich people got all the stuff you know and and we ain't got nothing now and it's just like oh. No, yeah. please don't it even was, try. It was so distressing to watch when it was just a bunch of prats being idiots. And that's all it was. Uh, but anyway, back to dead sets. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> to misanthropy. Back into a different kind of misanthropy. Uh, the first episode essentially is set in the Big Brother house. Um, and it's eviction night. Uh, and it was actually filmed at a genuine Big Brother eviction. Oh, that oh, saves episode. money. Yes, uh, they would just, after the eviction had took place, they kept everybody there, gave them a bunch of signs for the TV show, Dead Set, uh-huh. <laughs> and then filmed it, because Davina McCall, who is a central character in Dead Set, is the host of Big Brother over here, or was, before the show changed channels. So she is, at, so there's, a, there's a wonderful blurring of reality with the fantasy, which is what you just mentioned, Brooker does exceptionally well. Davina McCall is the host of Big Brother, it is, was this huge cultural thing over here. And by marrying it to that, he does a really good job of commenting on, in much the way that Romero did, Yes, he had mall shopping as his metaphor. Brooker's using the obsession with television to a large degree and to a smaller degree, Brother itself, as his metaphor. Right, and the, yeah, and the whole um, audience and watchers and the watching and the wanting yeah. to be watched and, and all that. And... Uh, it's really funny because I, I've been looking forward to comparing this in The Walking Dead and and throwing it and, and sort of comparing them using 
the 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 overlay of George Romero and the way he and you know his his f- first four zombie movies, you know. Yeah. Well, because... the dead set directly references that, doesn't it? One of the oh, characters yeah. does say, they're going to get you, Barbara. So he is definitely referencing that that's what he's getting. And if you remember, um, I mean, I don't know how you saw Screen Wipes, you won't have seen it erring, but around the time that dead set was filming, there were Walking Dead comics on Charlie Brooker's desk. Oh. If you watched them, because I'm, I'm like Michael Bailey. Whenever I see a comic book on screen, my eyes instantly go Which to what one is, is that? Yeah. So I have that one. And he had a number of Walking Dead comics scattered on his desk. So he's obviously influenced by the Walking Dead comics when he was doing Dead Set. Well, there's there's another scene where they're like, why are they here? And it's right out of Dawn of the Dead where, yeah. you know, they're just like... They're still here. They're after us. They know we're still in here. They're after the place. They don't know why they... Just remember, remember that they want to be in here. What the hell are they? They're us, that's all. There's no more room in hell. Except it's more, it's delivered sarcastically. In Dawn of the Dead, it's almost reverent where he's just like, you know, the, they, they remember this place and there was some place they enjoyed coming and, and it's more of a cynical, just sort of snide, half sarcastic remark and, uh, and I, I mean, Charlie, Bro- I, I'm glad we sort of prefaced actually this with a, a, all the talk of Charlie Brooker's other other stuff in that, because that 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 cynicism and misanthropy just oozes through every single mm. second of this. Well, a when they play the um, the whole Big Brother thing so close to the bone. That's enough to make anybody misanthropic anyway. That's yes. that's already you don't even have to add layers of satire to that to make it to just sit there and go like oh what a terrible <laughs> terrible yeah. terrible group of people. And well, and the first the first episode sets up the whole premise of the show with the Big Brother contestants and they are wonderfully cast in that you've got the jock and the pretty girl that was the wonder bra and the the obviously bisexual one who plays up his campness for the cameras. But then Brooker does something really clever throughout the course of the first couple of episodes before he starts bumping everybody off. Mm -hmm. He makes you like them. He makes you genuinely care for these people. I mean, the first episode, they are all stereotypical Big Brother contestants. You want to take them out and guide their eyes out with a spoon. You don't like any of them. They're all scum of the earth. But then as one of them, as the, the zombie things takes effect... And the, um, the central character, Kelly, gets herself into the Big Brother house, and they think it's a test. They think it's part of the show that this is going on, and she's just trying to freak them out. Yeah, while they think Kelly... it's hilarious, yeah. yeah. because they're trapped in this little bubble. They have no idea what's going on in the outside world. And they also just can't get past the idea that anything is beyond... that the outside world would yeah. intrude upon the, their bubble and that it would be anything serious you know they just i mean literally this girl comes in soaked in blood and even to the point where when a zombie does get in and she takes a fire extinguisher and mashes its head flat and wasn't that such a fantastic scene there's very little on tv camera violence well have you ever seen reversible uh no what's that oh 
it's this French director, and it's a. I I don't like him. I don't. I don't. Uh, I think it's he's a sh- like a shock value for shock value. But he's a wonderful cinematographer and editor. Right. But this he did a movie called Irreversible, and it's basically a story of like how a a couple and the woman gets raped and the guy goes out for revenge and kills someone and ends up in prison. The whole movie is filmed backwards, right. like Memento. Yeah. So it starts out in prison. And there's a horrible extended rape scene in it that's really gratuitous. But when he hunts down the rapist in a club, he beats his head. He staves, caves his head in with a fire extinguisher, almost exactly like the filmed, almost exactly the same, except they somehow did it in one take or through editing. And it looks like a real person got killed for that. But it was just as graphic as when I was watching this, I'm like, Holy cow! This is TV. That was a hard. Yeah. That was an X-rated movie. That movie got a or an NC-17 or it basically got a like you know the, usually for pornography rating. And I'm like, wow, you can get away with gore. And let's hear it for Britain. Boobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, British TV does have this with this watershed. Um, I don't know if you know this. Before nine o'clock, it's supposed to be all family fur. But mm-hmm. it will slowly get a bit more grittier as it goes along. So something that's on at I 8 like o'clock that. may not necessarily be suitable for somebody who's like 7 or 8 years old. That's how TV should be because instead of just this – that's how radio used to be in America. Yeah, you would, after a certain You'd get time. up in the morning and it would be quiet morning music. And then you would get a lot of news and and you know some rock and roll during the day. And then at night it would get maybe a little more weird, and then as it got to late night it would get to be classical music, and then yeah. back into, and uh, yeah, that's chill out. Well, after ten o'clock over here, ten o'clock's the cut-off watershed. Is that after when the boobs come out? Yep. After ten o'clock, anything goes. You can show whatever the hell you like, uh, as long as it's prefaced with a this program may contain scenes of violence or scenes of a sexual nature beforehand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As long well, as you've warned people so they can't turn around and complain. They can show anything they want. Well, Walking Dead is on a very similar network in America. And and it's funny because Walking Dead has not shied away from the gore, just like Dead Set. Dead Set has some, although I have to say, Dead Set has some just fantastic. They, they not to get too technical here in the gore talk, but they really got the feel of a gunshot wound to a head and like splintering skull and the messiness the sort of like shards of skull that would and hair that there's some there with the scene where um the one guy gets chased into a convenience store and the woman blasts the zombie outside the door is one of the best head wounds i've ever seen in a gory movie I, 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 the first time I watched it, it was one of those things where I had to go back and watch it like four times and go, yeah. damn TV, you getting mean these days. Yeah, well, there is damn. the thing that the first time I watched this, we watched it every night, and then for this, I watched it again on Sunday, and I watched it right through. I hadn't planned on, I was going to watch one a day leading up to us recording, but I just sat through the whole thing because it's just so gripping. I forgot they were 20 minutes and I whipped right through them too. I thought they were an hour after watching the first one and I was just yeah. like, okay, this is going to take me a little while and then it was just like, zoom. Yeah, I mean, certainly when you get into episode 2 and 3, it just seems like no time has passed at all. Yeah. 
it's just a, a fantastic it's brilliantly structured yeah in, one, it's one of those shows when it ends the beat that it ends on it's always just like oh damn it's over yeah. already i've got to watch the next one yes doesn't matter what time it is uh the fact that it is set in this recognizable big brother location but they don't want to go out and it is all fenced up is brilliant uh, there's did, let's compare the two in terms of the way they look the dead set yes. is obviously shot digitally yes and because you can tell i don't know if you i mean you've done film skills so you probably know better than i do but there's something about the way digital photography is that whenever it films water the droplets kind of like move dreamily do you know what i mean this, well it's a strobe effect you're talking right. the difference between film is 24 frames per per second and video is 33 or 30 frames per second interlaced so right. it's sort of strobing half the picture at a time although digital a lot of times when people do digital like now like the digital camera i have now you can flip a switch and have it do 24 frames a second right and uh and and get that feel of film they obviously did not do that here they, well, they, uh, was Dead Set maybe one of the first TV shows they filmed digitally? Because how old is this now? Was it 2007, no, 2008? They, I think they could have done it. I think they did it. Um, I think they did it purposely. I think they filmed... Because when I was watching this, I was say, thinking, this is far different. The, the, the superficial differences between this and Walking Dead, the most glaring one is this is filmed in the heavily handheld camera yeah but it's based on big brother which is a show which is shot on video they don't do 24 frame try to simulate film for big brother it's all video well cameras if you watch they, they do change the film stock sure they in in so the big brother scenes it does look like an episode of big brother right right and you know and and a lot of it has to do with uh the wonderful this is uh, well i'll get to this later but anyway the the handheld can and when the action starts when the zombies start coming it goes into super handheld camera into the sort of into that sort of zone where when you see zombies ripping up people and there's a lot of digitized blood like the walking dead like yeah. splattering blood but they do it sort of in the, they they darken it you know you can tell there's been a lot of little processing done to darken it and when things are moving really fast it gets that sort of digital blur look to it Yes. And this it's it's sharp but blurry at the same time. I don't know how else to describe it. And it's very visceral and these are running, jumping, snarling, screaming zombies. These are these are 28 these are actually you know the, the these are I I I guess we could call them British zombies cuz that started <laughs> with 28 days later. Yeah. This is you know that was that was like the the Britain and America have such a great cultural exchange of taking things that one of them events other, yeah. and putting their own spin on them and making and then the other culture sees it and goes yes running zombies and responds with you know the remake of Dawn of the Dead yeah well yeah. one of the things I liked about this is when the humans are being chased by the zombies the zombies don't slow down no. and it, when I was thinking well they don't have to breathe so why would they have to stop. They don't care. Well, they don't feel any pain. or. Yeah. So or... that added a real visceral nature to the chase is that Kelly, when she's being pursued, is getting tired. But the zombie isn't. And I just thought that was a brilliant idea that I hadn't seen being done anywhere before. And they do that that effect of, of the pull... Of the... Um, 
shot with a wide angle lens and telephoto with people getting chased a lot so where you yeah. can't really tell the, the the it squashes the whole perspective so you can't tell how far away the people who are chasing them are yeah it looks like you they could actually be 20 feet away from them but it looks like they're right on top of them because everything's squashed and they use that effect a lot and you know yeah when 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 you get when the zombie stuff happens the cameras are on the move they're they're all over the place and it, it's really visceral and just jarring you know in, yeah, a, it's in a good so, way so fast paced as well it's it's it is remarkable i mean there used to be the main difference between american and british television drama american stuff was very slick and glossy mm-hmm. and our stuff was a tv was a play on television basically uh, the main difference was the tone. Our version of Star Trek ends with all the cast being gunned down in the last episode. And that, so the tonal differences were the big thing. We seem to have gone the other way. Our stuff now seems to be quite fast-paced. And American yes. TV drama now tells its story over an entire season. So yes. it slowed their pace down a bit. And that's one of the main differences between the two. Walking Dead has a brilliant opening credit sequence on its first episode, but it's very slowly paced and it's very deliberate in how mm-hmm. it introduces the zombie. And then we've got all lovely wide open landscapes and it's bright and sunny compared to Britain where it's gloomy and miserable most of the time. And the, that, that's the big difference to me. Tonally, the shows are completely different despite being about the same thing. The Walking Dead is taking its time in telling you the story, and the bursts of violence are quick and sudden, as in real life. Whereas Dead Set, it's all yes. fast. It's constant. It's edgy, you see stuff all the way through all five episodes. There's no respite, or very little respite. There's a couple of places here and there where characters have to take the breath. I can see you just, you've been psychically reading my notes and translating them <laughs> into British. <laughs> So that means nobody will understand them then. <laughs> well, well, what's really funny is, like, um, you know, originally, you know, I thought this was gonna, I, I was thought this was gonna be like, okay, I'm gonna be defending The Walking Dead from Dead Set. Then I watched Dead Set and I thought, like, I love this. I can't, you know, yeah. I can't well, find either way. I was coming at it from the opposite angle. I was, I'm defending the British one against this this usurper that's shown up. But I love, I do <laughs> like The Walking Dead. I really do. My complaints with it is sometimes it's a bit too slow. And if I have another scene of Rick and Shane talking about their fucking feelings, I'm going to take an axe to them myself. But do you, read the, com- you read the comics too, I right? I do. Yeah, but reading so, the comics, it's a different thing when you're reading something that's slow moving. Oh, I know. No, well, here's 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 what I'm getting at with that. It's he's he's to- the the people who don't read the comics, which are I I have the awesome experience of my roommates discovered it and he's I don't think he's a big horror movie fan or a horror genre fan I don't think he doesn't like it but and he never read the comics so I've been watching the show with him as a fresh eyes who has no idea of the story of it and that's Kirkman's thing he loves to sit you down and go boom and punch you in the face and then sort of just start stroking your hair and going oh it's okay it's okay calm relax relax we're gonna we're gonna get a little story going here and he gets you all settled in and then he just gets you in the gut and um i and it also it, it also is a, i think a budgetary <laughs> yeah there is um, well i didn't know before you mentioned it to me that the second season of the walking dead had has its budget cut 
which does explain where there are more talky scenes and they are they're all in one location. I like for the I like it. season two. And it's made them have to film in super sixteen millimeter, which is gorgeous. I love sixteen millimeter. Mm. It gives it I love grainy B movie looking film. I love for the grain. I, I, I love the way it looks. I, I, I love the just the aesthetics of it. So it's they don't grain it up for The Walking Dead, but it gives it a little bit of that grit. Mm. But the funny thing about it is, is with the gloss and all this of Dead Set, man, you can when when the when the bodies start piling up, you can almost smell yes the the corpses. I mean, it's it's you know there's movies where there's blood all over the place, but in this but it it's blood and hair. It's this, not important that there's blood everywhere. Whereas in this. This doesn't death look like set, a set yeah. designer set up, you know, uh, uh, a death scene. This looks like true chaos just went ripping through something and yeah. left gore and stuff smeared all over the place. It's really, this is definitely not a show for the faint of heart. It's, it's you know, it's strong meat even for for horror fans. It's, yeah. it's the kind of strong meat that horror fans are just like, oh yeah, give it to me. But, you know, if you have somebody who gets upset by the, this this is and and what's really funny about it is between this and walking dead as far as the look of it goes the walking dead i think cleaves closer to the george romero movies yeah well and, let's 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 tonally let's let's talk about the two differences mm-hmm. then do you think the walking dead is a horror show yes i think Dear. it is I, I i think it is in so much as any zombie movie is a horror, is a horror story. By the very definition know. of it being a zombie movie, it's a horror film. Zombie movies, to me, are you know sociologically, just they're they're always in times of political and social turmoil, and they're they're you know they were in the shadow of the of the of the Cold War, and this is in the shadow of you know the big you know wealth disparity and the bad economic times and and people thinking yeah we could you know that people are, are really thinking you hey the oil might run out people are envisioning possible end of the world scenarios and this is just the per- zombie movies are the perfect platform for that mm. because they're the perfect they're, they're, metaphor to play with us beca- us being our worst enemy you know a uh, 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 them you know they're a them they're a mindless them it's and it's also you know i mean it's as in any horror it, it works on the fear of death but it's you know the fear of death but it's more the fear of the death of society and then you know it's the the zombie movies are there to remind you that society sits on a razor's edge. Yeah, it's very that, fragile. That's why you know the 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 key thing of a of a zombie movie a lot of times is how it portrays that that razor edge moment from where you go from normality to the shit hitting the fan. Those are always the most interesting parts of zombie movies. A lot of times for me are the very beginnings, like Dawn of the Dead. It, I love Dawn of the Dead, the original Dawn of the Dead, all the way through. But the part that fascinates me the most is the very beginning that's just chaotic, where they're bouncing from one location to another, and you see (laughs) the news station going nuts and people trying to hold it together when obviously it ain't going to be together for much longer. 
I love that's the those are the parts I love. Those are the fascinating. Mm. So you get that in the first dead set, don't you? The the news reports going off, and suddenly radio mobile phones don't work and stuff. And what I like about The Walking Dead is Rick wakes up to this world. Yes. He's no idea how it's happened. He's no idea when it happened. We're not given any indication as how long he's been out. And he wakes up and suddenly the Earth's gone to hell. And The Walking Dead is more similar in terms of its tone, I think, to John Wyndham's Day of the Triffids. Yes. Oh, what my Dead God. Set is a horror movie. It's a straight-up horror movie. There's a central metaphor, though, that keys in to a lot of the things you were just talking about, about the end of civilization. But Brooker's main forte is tackling the masses and how the media influenced yeah. the masses. And that's his metaphor. Whereas the Day of the Triffids is very similar to The Walking Dead, the TV show more than the comic, I think, in that it's more of an exploration of man and an exploration of man's place in the world and how we take it for granted that we're top of the food chain. That... And when that's all taken away from us, what do we do then? Well, we become the zombies in Day of the Triffids because yeah. everybody's struck blind. That's yeah. the, the genius of that one. When I was a kid, man, I... I, I... I remember hearing about the the British adaptation of that, which made me seek out the book. The book scared the hell out of me, and the finally book, PBS. The book is fantastic. I read all the John Wyndham stuff as a kid. Uh, the crack. He also did the, the Midwich Cuckoos. Yeah, all of that stuff's fantastic. The Triffids book has a very uneasy feel to it as you're reading it because you do put yourself in in the, the place of the central character, like Rick, wakes up, and he's no idea when this happened. He learns how it happened at a later date, but he was he was out cold, wasn't he? He was in hospital with his eyes covered because of... Um, yeah, he was in a coma, yeah. He had a, an explosion that damaged his eyes, so his eyes were covered so he didn't see the meteor shower that caused everyone to be blind. Yes, yes, yes. So The Walking Dead to me is very similar to Wyndham, more than it's similar to Romero. It's taking its cues from Romero with the zombies, but I get much more of um, a... Uh, ooh, what am I trying to say? It's not a horror movie feel. It's more of um, a where is our place in the world feel to it, right. rather well, than a specific horror film. Well, those those those, those window books were were great and creepy because they were very British and they very played upon the 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 bucolic sort of life being you know the very ordered and. Um, like yes. Midwich Cuckoos was set in the countryside in yeah. a very, you know, very just sort of not conservative, but very you know, old fashioned middle class British right. society. And uh, so, so it always it's always scarier when that that stuff goes to hell. Yeah. And it's funny because Dead Set to me follows not in in its appearance but its style it follows the Romero, the Romero template a lot closer than Walking Dead although yeah. Walking Dead at first would appear to be Walking Dead could conceivably happen in Romero world which has always been classically traditionally considered the most realistic zombie world you know it would so, sort of like that's why it was so scary it was sort of like the real world gone to zombie hell and not over the topness really as much over-the-top gore, but in a in a sort of plausible way. Yeah. But Walking Dead is even more... But the thing about it is, when you look at the the Romero movies, they're all, you know, he packs it. He's not subtle about his subtext and his, his you know, what, what he wants to get across in it. And that's where Charlie Brooker is, 
is this is straight up there you know satire but it's also on top of you know i mean there's a lot of lines in there that like yeah. are a little are a bit ridiculous but they play really well but you know there's you there's no doubt about it as you're watching it when when they're you know there's a shot that they're making fun of tv or you know a zombie's looking up at a tv screen mm. which is how it's supposed to be it's not supposed to be with a scalpel it's with a with a chainsaw and yeah. he he really he he gets the whole you know George Romero's approach, which I think in his later films pissed off a lot of the zombie fans because they're like, "What's all this social context is cutting into my gore?" You know, <laughs> and 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 even when he goes over the top with it, but that's what George Romero did it for from the beginning was that subtext, and they put that into The Walking Dead, but it's more on an interpersonal la- level rather than a societal. Than a, than a view of all of society. It's more of a view of of how people re, you know interact with each other, where you know he where there's that in Dead Set, but the broad strokes of it are the watchers and the the watched and and the people who enable it and how you know basically you know through through the movie you have basically two characters. And arguably three with the with the housewife lady with the with the gun who are really like decent, solid, good people. You know, you get behind them from the beginning where you're like, I like this person. They're tough. They're smart. They're a decent person. You know, even though, you know, like the one girl's having an affair on her boyfriend and stuff. And but they're not slimy. She's you know, she's not into it. And, no, she, uh, she feels guilty about it. Yeah. So she's going to write, well, I'm going to have to break up with him before this can go any further. So, so there's a certain element of decentness to Kelly before this starts. And that that's how he tricked me. Is I was like, oh, there's only two characters in here who are likable. Everybody else is zombie chow. Uh, but he, that's that's what I was saying. He makes then the he, big brother contestants likable, doesn't he? Then he then by then he starts, you know, he starts he makes them likable while at the same time not stripping them of yeah. their characteristics that make them horrible people too he d- yeah. they they they're likable and at the same time they're horrible people arguably except for the producer there was never any time yes. where i wasn't well, waiting for the let's, producer let's have a chat about patrick yes patrick is the producer of the big brother television show within the confines of of the show he's an actor we've already mentioned that davina mccall is the real life presenter of big brother or was when this was erring. So the blurring the fantasy and reality there. Patrick is an irredeemable twat mm. throughout the entire show. And what's remarkably likable about the guy... No arc. It, yeah, there's no story arc at all. He remains that way when he's getting torn to pieces. He's yes. still a twat. And I loved that. I love that he doesn't he doesn't have a redemptive streak. He doesn't go through a oh well I was wrong and you were right. He's a fucker until the last minute. Yeah, and he's and basically he's just into ordering people around and that, that's what he's doing at the end. He's like, Go ahead, have some <laughs> you yeah, know. As they're tearing his, his guts out. As as they're ripping him in half, as you know, he's realizing he's in his last moments, he's like he's t- he's he's like fuck it i'm gonna tell him to, you know it's like the the guy whose dog sits and then he goes sit see he, he <laughs> yes. listens to me you know yeah. uh, but the thing about that character is I, i'm watching him and i'm like this is charlie brooker's stand-in this is yeah, charlie this brooker is getting, 
Yes, exactly. And I'm watching this guy and I'm like, this guy, everybody, you know, most of the, anybody who is related to the Big Brother show, like the cast and the producer were, you know, broad strokes. But he's, you know, I'm watching him and I'm like, he's riding the line of, you know, being caricature. But then I started thinking about all the, like when I was in college and Hollywood was starting to call and it was, you know, not literally like Hollywood was calling me, but it was like getting time to start looking into like, do I want to go to California and start trying to work in Hollywood? And I started meeting people who were working in Hollywood and involved in the film industry who were like, oh, you ought to come get a job here. And like realizing these people are fucking sociopathic scumbag. You know, you'd meet somebody and go like, how can this person call themselves a human? Like literally like my friend and I walked out of a meeting once with this guy and went, holy shit. Did you just see that? That, that person walks around and functions in society somehow. (laughs) And so that, that producer character, I just want to tell people I've met people exactly like him. He's, he's a caricature, but there are human caricatures that find themselves. He's probably, he was probably a very, he was obviously a very good producer because he was producing Big Brother, which is a huge show. So there's a lot of people who are, who are literally just as, and that's what I love about Charlie Brooker is, is, is a lot of times, a lot of people, like when people make fun of, there's, you know, in Holly, in movies and any, where, where they make movies, there's people obviously like getting an idea of a character from someone they really know and hate. I'm going to craft this villain off them. But a lot of times, instead of exaggerating them, they, they sort of end up, depending on the movie, if they're trying to be more realistic, they end up having to tone them down because it doesn't play as the reality. The reality of that character probably wouldn't play as reality as much. Mm. And that's what he came off as being just so abominable that he was almost a caricature, but... No, he's probably real. You know, if, if if somebody called Charlie Brooker on him, he'd probably go like, "No, I know that guy." Yeah, you know? probably best that, him on that guy's, real. Yeah, that guy won't call me anymore. You know, after he saw Dead Set, or actually, the guy was probably just like, "Thanks, man, <laughs> that was me all the way, dude." Did you see how I was bitching at those guys right down to the end? That's uh, well, the, the other thing I noticed about watching it back to back like this, there is a very, very palatable vein of black humor. Mm. running through mm-hmm. dead set some of the lines are incredibly dark but so funny but mostly from patrick it has to be there's that awful scene that you cannot take your eyes off where he locks himself in the the green room with there's a girl who got evicted from the show the <laughs> night that the zombie happened Pippa. yes Pepper. <laughs> and uh, she's in the green room locked in there because she doesn't want to go out because of the dumb zombies. as a rock dumb as a rock but a really nice girl. Oh yeah, she's. She... That he, he did that with her. He doesn't make a dumb as a rock, unlikable. He makes a dumb as a rock, but pleasant. And Patrick's locked in this room with her, and he stuffs his face with all the green room stuff, and just starts taking a piss and a shit in the dustbin in the corner. And she's just, oh, this is awful. And he's just, shut up, woman. You don't have to watch. I love that because that is so, like, that is the kind of stuff I love about that stuff because that's a situation that would really happen, too. Yeah. And, and he, you know, he panics. He's like, I got to get as much food in me as possible. He's just, like, literally shoving all the green room, which is the crappiest food, and it's probably been laying around for a while. So he got probably got a little bit of the, 
green apple quick step from it. And and what's funny is basically bodily functions are what motivate him. What what you know get past the cowardice of you know he's like you know I'm not gonna shit in that bucket again. Yeah. But uh, the uh, the beautiful best dumb dumb girl line that she gets is when he's taking the lamp apart and she's like don't that's the light machine <laughs> she calls it the light machine he's like it's oh, a yeah. lamp dear and the look that he gives her yeah well the thing is his and here's another thing that's that's crafty about this sort of stuff is his his just total disdain with the whole human race isn't particularly uh, uncalled for you know no, you know, well, he's he, spent he spent his career producing Big Brother, and right. he's he's manufactured this disdain of the human race. He he, he cultivates yes. it for the good of the show, and he surrounds himself with yeah. it, and he hates it. He hates himself he, for which, doing I'm, it. Mm-hmm. But the the true reality of it is the probably the guy probably doesn't the real guy probably doesn't hate himself, and tra- Charlie Brooker's just like ah. Oh, I'm going to at least make him self-loathing so there's <laughs> some sort of justice, you know, so he's – and uh, I love it. I love the uh, – yeah. I, I Yeah, it's it's hard not to um, – um, at this point, you should just pause this podcast and go watch it and then come back because I'm just going to spoil all the way all the way through the part where he's cutting up a corpse. So yeah, he has where he's cutting up Grayson's – his plan is – we should explain. The, sound design, the yeah. sound design in that is so <laughs> – Stomach churning. Uh, eventually, Patrick gets into the Big Brother house. The other housemates don't want to let him in, but he's in the control booth, so he has control over the outside gates. So with a flick of a switch, he can let all the zombies in. So they have no choice but to let him into the house, and the minute he's in there, he becomes a massive cock, even bigger than he is in, in originally. So what he decides to do is, he's not staying in there, he's getting out, he's getting to the coast, he's getting the fuck out of the country. So he decides that what they need is bait to bait the zombies. So he's hacking up one of the contestants who's been eaten. And like, like Chris just said, the sound design on that scene is, I want to use the word gorgeous, because in one way it is. It's, it's disgorgeous. Yeah, it's as he's cutting, and he's just reveling in it, isn't he? I don't. He's ripping the guy to bits and going, I don't know what this is, but oh, look how tasty it is. Prime he's, pedigree chum. He's he's <laughs> he's talking. He's talking his way through it because he's ha- he's 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 choking and he's choking and hacking. He's <coughs> he's the the thing about it is the thing about it's it is bravado, isn't it? It is. He's he's just talking himself into it. But the thing is, is all the people pretty much. Most of them and and the rest of them tacitly agreed that that was worth trying. So the body he did have to cut. Somebody had to cut off the body, but nobody else had the stomach to do it because it was like their personal friend. So he's like, "I'll do it." You get the idea that he is enjoy. You know, he's enjoying the the freedom of like he gets to cut this guy up, and maybe there might even be a little sexual subtext in there. Is you know he's getting to cut up the. The, the you know show a little hatred to this character or something but um you know all the rest of them just sit at the table with their heads down in horror while he's doing it and he's just berating them for for not helping him and that he's the only one who'll do what has to be done and see it's not so bad it's it's a it's a horrifying just 
and that's probably in is that that's in the final episode is it's is that an episode one i think it's episode final... yeah it's either four or five yeah because then he has to convince them oh no because after, after that they tie him up don't they mm-hmm. and then you get that really wonderful scene where the housemates are like we have to get rid of him because he's a threat to us and it's a really it's a really interesting point of view from a humanistic standard well, that's uh, the first thing I thought is they're going to have to kill this guy. Yeah, they're going to have to get rid of him. And Kelly, who is the one, the central character throughout the whole thing, the one who had the guts to actually stand up to them initially, the one who has no problems with killing them because she has to, but ultimately she won't kill a human being, which is important yes. for her story arc, whereas the other people, Wonderbra, they call her, don't they, the, the girl in the house, uh, she's for killing him, but she's not had to kill anyone yet. She's the first person who brings it up, but they're all thinking it at that point. They're all yep. thinking it. It's that point where it's like, okay, what do we do with him now? And, and Kelly doesn't want to do it. Yeah, she's like, doesn't she come to the? She's like, well, I think we should just like hobble him. Yeah, break his just leg we'll break his ankles. Like Which is visceral enough. Yeah, and yeah, and then and then you start thinking of that possibility and how loud that guy's gonna be with a broken ankle. And, you know, and then people are like, ah, you know, maybe we should just, <laughs> just kill him. <laughs> I'll just chuck him over the fence. Yeah, there were probably and, people no, fantasizing no. about killing him before the zombie apocalypse yeah. broke out, I'm sure. Well, Kelly, I mean, Kelly hates his guts. He he, he doesn't even acknowledge her. He never gets her name right. He doesn't, you know, and then when she corrects him, he's just like, hey, whatever. You know? say that with everybody, which mm -hmm. is so funny. He doesn't, he doesn't give a shit. Does he? He doesn't no. care that he's insulting. No, not only doesn't he give a shit, but he's quite adamant about making it very clear to every single person. You know, when he's standing and arguing with them, he doesn't just argue with them. He insults every single one of them personally. There's one guy who's, you know, head and shoulders, the jock guy. He, he's, he's arguing with um, the creepy older guy. And he, to make his point, he bounces the cap of a peanut butter jar <laughs> off yes. the jock guy's forehead. Just w point blank wings it off his. And I've known people that arrogant who do stuff like that, and they think, well, what are the, you know, people don't know how to react. They're not, what are they going to do, punch me? And 99% of the time, they're right. And that's what he was, you know, he didn't care. He, he was just like, I don't care. Boom. <laughs> he was gold, wasn't he, Patrick? Um, so that there isn't a character like him in The Walking Dead. In no. The Walking Dead, everyone's basically decent. Well, this, even the, the even the like they they like to uh, coming up in the story when they start getting into the governor. Maybe we'll uh, get it different. But they like you know, Merle and um his, and his brother, um, Daryl were yep. were were both just like oh these racist you know. But they've really the... neutered Daryl in the second series, do you not think? Well, I noticed, I was watching episode four of The Walking Dead today, and Daryl's, um, Reedus, Norman Reedus, I think is his name, yeah. was credited as guest starring Norman Reedus. So I think maybe they didn't plan on having him around as long, but people liked him. And that's yeah. a Kirkman thing. Kirkman, Kirkman shades his characters in... And he he makes you like everybody too, but he really he really like takes the time to make his characters complex and to make even dickish things that they do or or scandalous things they do some sometimes work out. You know he 
it's very actually Star Trek where they where you know they don't like to have an enemy so much. Uh, you'll have an enemy, but eventually the the episode I watched was the Vatos episode where you know they they're at odds with a Spanish gang and it ends up the gang is like protecting an old folks home and you know an old lady diffuses the situation and yes. all of a sudden everybody's allies. All of a sudden yeah. everybody's communicating on and I like that about that's that's something in Kirkman's in Kirkman's writing style that that I really like is he he makes all his characters very very three-dimensional and gives you a real good insight into their motivations and stuff which is all the most shocking when they do something that you think oh fuck me like I've in the comics I've just got to the end of the seventh hardcover where the zombies have overrun the town where they're staying yes and um Rick and his son, Carl, yes. have just decided we're going to make a run for it. With and the, the woman the... that he's been sleeping with falls behind because of her son. And Rick just leaves her. <laughs> he doesn't just leave her. He cuts her hand yeah. off. Yes, yes, he does. Yeah, he cuts her back. hand off and yeah. leaves her. Yeah. And you're like, fuck. And it's, but it's because he's built him up that well over the previous issues. You kind of understand why he did it. And you oh, don't no, really, I... mm-hmm. you don't hold it against him I that 100- he's just done that. I 100%. What I like about Rick is is it takes its toll on Rick, mm. but Rick doesn't. Rick very rarely goes, maybe I shouldn't have done that. No, he goes, no. maybe I shouldn't have done that a little bit, but then he, he gets his wits about him and goes, no, look, if I hadn't cut her hand off, she'd be dead, I'd be dead, and, and most importantly, Carl would be dead. But that you know? didn't end well for Carl anyway. No, um, and that brings me to another big point of... Um, and, uh, the, the the two shows and the big difference between the two and uh, w- it, which makes it even more marked in the fact that Walking Dead has shambler zombies and that that you guys got the runners in, yeah. in, in the British one is this is something that I forgot about Britain that was reminded that I was reminded of in in Dead Set is you guys don't have guns laying around <laughs> no we don't they, they had the, to contrive a reason yeah, you for had us to, to get a gun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, there was actually a point where someone goes, how did you get a gun? Where did you get a gun? In the long, long story. Yeah, no shit, it was a long story. Because um, um, in in a future storytellers, when I do that, I made C-3PO cry. We'll talk about but when <laughs> One of C-3PO's big thrills, this guy who visited me from Britain, was that when he moved on from here to the Midwest, that he was going to get to go out and shoot a gun. Because... He, he was like, you can have a gun in Britain, but you got to keep it at the firing range, and it has a special key on You know, it's all very, mm. very, very tightly. Con- people don't have guns in their houses, basically. In America, hey, you know, Rick's traveling around with a duffel bag full of guns. You know, you go to you could go to a gun store and just load up on guns and a- ammo. You know, I, they're, you know, they're everywhere. So it's funny. In The Walking Dead, you have shambling zombies and p- everybody with guns. And and dead set, you yeah. have running, screaming, ripping, tearing zombies, and, and we're people with them to bits with a, and, with and a mallet, with with mallets, kitchen knives, and fire scissors. extinguishers, anything yes, and, we can find. Yeah, I, I, it was funny because I saw she smashed his head in with the fire extinguisher, and then she was carrying that fire extinguisher around with her. Yep. And I'm just like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> in America, we go, we, we we you know we trade up for <laughs> with weapons and. In 
in Britain, it's catch as catch can, you know, so... Yeah, it was very, it's very up close and dirty, which works in with the camera work, which does lead to the scene where they get the gun. The scene with the two policemen who show up, there's two armed response policemen who show up as they're coming out of the, um, the supermarket, isn't it? Because they've had to go and get some medicine for a girl that's been bit. We should explain that, I suppose. And these two policemen show up and they're armed. And those two cops are just so fucking dumb. <laughs> yeah, at first, at, at first they're like, "We're gonna enforce the law." Are you guys looting, and then they start to sort of feel sorry for him. But you get the idea that these cops are also the older cop, especially, is kind of enjoying being He's the power. guy with the gun. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you have this whole standoff, you know, with the with the cop, and where you know the cop thinks one of the guys, one of the guys has cut himself, but just on a piece of metal. And the cops looking at him and he's like, "Hey, is that a know. bite?" Well, the, and not and not only that, but it's is it a bite? It's after his partner just got bit and he just popped his partner in the head with, "Sorry, mate." Yeah, <laughs> just, you know, just this shot him more than it'll hurt you. And, and then, so this guy knows. This guy doesn't care if it's even just you know he's not going to take that chance. And the woman takes the cop down in the leg. And then he's overrun with zombies. But that that reminded me of a very Romero scene, you know, just a little isolated incident with this with this where where humans you know, should be teaming up with each other. But they're acting badly, you know, mm. uh, get you know, they're, they're fighting each other while you have zombies all around. These cops are diddling around and, it, you know, it, it immediately just leads to their downfall, you know, they're in a horrible way for both of them. Yeah. See, the only thing I thought wrong with that scene, surely it would have made sense to take the police car with you. Because you could have put the siren on the police car to distract the zombies while you got back in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and another thing, I guess, about the two movies is that, that just struck me is Dead Set had a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, Dead Set was very limited. It's a very so, limited series. Right. It was one so, series. There wasn't going to be any more. So by the last episode, it's re- you know by the last ten minutes of the last episode, it's really it's ramped up to like ten thousand percent. Stuff is just happening so quickly, and you know the, the the gore, the cameras are moving. You know it builds up to such a frenzy that you can't do that with The Walking Dead. You can only do it in little little bursts Mm. here and there the very nature of the walking dead being a continual story of survival horror is until the show ends we're not going to get an ending so there is a certain element of it feels like they're padding stuff out here and there and i'd I'd be much happier if they were following the comics more closely i'm I'm they are doing i'm happy that they're not for the for the selfish reason of i read the comics and um so i like having it I, I, I like I like there's news stories in right. it, but they're all Kirkman's stuff. You know, Kirkman's Kirkman's got his finger in them, obviously. So they they they're like lost episodes of the comics or things that you never saw in the comics, or sort of an alternate version of it. I I realize you know the TV storytelling thing is different, and the different I uh, like you know the, the the character of Merle is awesome. I love his character. He's great. I uh, I he's was that uh, Michael Rooker? He, um. That oh, was Michael Rooker, wasn't oh, it? Yeah. Okay, I'm thinking of Redis. Is oh right, um, Daryl. Daryl. Daryl is a uh, Earl's a good character. I love Michael Rooker anyway. I love Michael Rooker, yeah. But um, you know, but Daryl is a great Kirkman character. He's I like him as much as like say Tyrese or any other character that that's in 
you know, that, that I that I came to love in, in Walking Dead. And I think that's I, I'm very glad he's doing stuff like that for the people who read the comics, because honestly, the number of comic book readers, it's very small, yeah. it's very small compared to the number of TV watchers. So he doesn't have to make the comic book readers happy at all. He could totally work it. He could totally he could totally be lazy and do the comics straight up that was always what i used to fantasize about in the early days of when we'd cover the comics on our show i'd be like man hbo's got to do this the comics are like storyboards you could you could just storyboard them out and just do them verbatim and people would go nuts because this is such a strong story and then when it when i saw the first episode and it was really close to the bone in a lot of ways I was a little disappointed because I'm like, uh, now it's going to be sort of a formality to watch it because even the characters sort of look like I envisioned the characters. Mm. So it's going to be sort of like just reading the comics over again and seeing it brought to life, which has a limited appeal to me. So when it started going in different directions, I really liked that. And and I love watching it with somebody who doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, I, I see everyone in our house has read the comics. Even my two sons have read all the comics. So they watch the series with the view that, oh, this wasn't in the comics. Uh, I get to watch it with my roommate who's just like, holy shit, how the... They can't get out of this. And what's really funny is he started calling... Like, he's like, oh, I'll bet you this is going to happen, you know. And and I would sit there smugly going, I read the the comics, you know. And this is, like, directly on the mid-season end of of Season season two how that ended with the barn and i and he he called what was going to happen in that like two episodes before that and i smugly went and but was like oh i don't want to say no that doesn't happen because i read the comics because i don't want to spoil for him Mm. and then it turned out he was right and and that was a punch in the gut for me and i'm like yeah, Kirkman they open... just punched me in the gut on the TV show. Holy yeah, where they open the, the barn door and the girl that they're looking for is in there. Yeah, who's still alive in the comics. He's still alive in the comics, yeah. Yeah, boom, right in the gut. Died, wasn't expecting that, and I'm like, thank you, Kirkman, for <laughs> punching me in the stomach. That's Didn't think it was going to be possible with the show to that extent, so I'm very excited about that. I'm, I'm glad he's uh, he's doing it, and I'm very excited that normal people who would never watch a George Romero zombie movie mm. are watching, you know, Walking Dead and getting sucked into it. Scott says his wife is sucked into it. And she yeah, my aunt loves it as well, yeah. And uh, I love that. I love that. The, the, and I can't, you know, I can't wait to see the next thing when, like, Scott, like, talks his wife into, like, saying, hey, you know, let's check out Dawn of the Dead because if you can... If, <laughs> If you can take the gore in Walking Dead, I, I mean, the gore on that that gore is as gory as anything I've ever seen on a on a movie screen in both of those shows, even more so in Dead Set. Um, yeah, you know, I it's just so funny that our society is so open to seeing people ripped apart and, <laughs> on television, and and booby boobies are still like. There's uh, I I gotta hand it to Deadset. There's boobies in it, but they're brief boobies, and see that's that one of the things over here. We've never had a problem with nudity on television. From being very little, I recall there being there was a, a popular TV show called The Sweeney in the late seventies when I was very little, and this was on eight o'clock in the evening, and it followed um, 
the Sweeney Todd, the Flying Squad. It's London rhyming slang for the Flying Squad. And it was John Thorne, Dennis Waterman, as Regan and Carter, two cops, two play clothes clock cops in London. And they would regularly go into strip joints. And you would regularly see them in bed with women. And this was it's treated as nothing special. It was, we, it was a part of the show. Well, yeah, you had you have newspaper show. you have newspapers that had boobies on them. Yeah, page know. three. We have page yeah. three girls. And we had page three girls too, but they're in bikinis. No, no see, I was aunt. Mm-hmm. I was a topless. So it's it's what what's Andrew Lincoln's accent like? Is that convincing as an American? It's more convincing now than it was at first. In the right. in the first, especially in the first episode, the first episode you could hear a little bit of british accent coming out and he was pulling it together as far as american is now he's starting to get the twang in there he's starting to get a little bit of, maybe he's hanging around you know the, you know those a- actor types are actors are sponges good actors mm. good actors don't really have much of a personality the and the great actors are just bullshit batshit crazy don't know who they are <laughs> And and they become their role. That's the only thing they know how to do well is become something good. But, you know, I don't think Andrew Lincoln's one of those, like, batshit crazy ones. But he's probably probably just living down in the South. He's, you know, Madonna went to London for 10 minutes and she was picking up accents. Suddenly she had a British accent. Well, it's always funny with Gillian Anderson's over here from the X-Files. She's British. And then when she goes back to America, she's American. And she was on a chat show recently where she said she was born in America but raised in England. So depending which country she's in, her accent changes automatically. Our brains are our brains are mimics, and you know if you were if if you were imprinted. I, I have a friend. Um, he's black. He's of. His his mother's Jamaican. He he wasn't born in Jamaica, but she had moved here from Jamaica, and so his mo- and he lived with his mother and grandfather, who had thick, thick you know Jamaican accents. And he went to school with a lot of white kids and a lot of black kids in his neighborhood. So when he was around the black kids, he was picking up. So this guy, like when he'd get on the phone with his mom, you'd hear the Jamaican accent starting to creep into his voice. When he was just hanging out in a normal situation, very just Anglo, normal American voice. But when he was hanging out with the brothers... Yeah, you know, a little bit of a lilt of that would start to to mm. to come in, and and you know, and I know if you plopped him down in in Georgia for six months and he came back, he'd start having a, and when he'd go back, he'd go on internships in New York City and he'd come back with a little Brooklyn around the edges, you know. Well, the reason I ask about Andrew Lincoln is to me he sounded fine. And even mm. that knowing he's quite a famous television actor over here. But one, it was a surprise he'd signed to an American television show because of the contracts. Because over here, whenever he'd done a TV series, he never did it for more than two years. And he went on to the next project. He's one of them, one of those actors who doesn't like sticking around. But Hugh Laurie's accent sounds awful to me. But I keep reading where there's many American people who don't think that he's British. No, they, they, they have American. no idea. When they, hear him, when they hear him speak with a British accent, or see, you know, um, what was it, Fry and Laurie? Yeah, the show Blackadder. Done. They Why see, they, they Blackadder. And they're just like, well, what the hell is House MD doing over there faking a British accent? Oh, for sure. I you think know. the American accent sounds fucking awful. But that could be. Well, I've grown up with him doing Fry and Laurie and Blackadder and all of that stuff. It's, there's, and I don't know what, 
what city it is. I don't know what city house is based in. But there's there's a regional. He's he's got a little bit of regional voice to him. It's almost it's almost like he's maybe he's studied people in California. He sounds like a lot of people I know from California and like guys that look like him with that sort of like hang dog face and the deep voice. Yeah, his his American accent is completely 100% plausible. I I really like I really admire the the ability to do that because I mean, okay, as an American nerd, when American nerds get together, it's so it embarrasses the hell out of me to <laughs> to talk about this. When you get American nerds together and this is this is something nerd built into nerd genes because it goes cross-generation. Maybe it's because of Monty Python. But you'll get, especially when young nerds, when they first start getting around groups of other nerds, they love to talk in British accents. Love, love, love. You can tell the the really smart book-reading nerd kids are like, I'm going to sound even smarter, and I'm I'm going to start... You know, and and the and the, the some of them that really get into it will start, you know, switching their R's and E's and you know spelling center C E N T R E, and being like I'm being British and pretentious. Hello there, you know, and 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 you can tell they're getting their their upper class British accent and their you know their. They're mixing up the Queen and Cockney together, and they're hey, it's all <laughs> British. It's so it's just like somebody, you know, you know, they don't know they're. they're and I would love, in in this day of personal espionage, I would love to put like stick a camera fly on the wall in the room and have a bunch of British people watching that because I don't know if that happens with British kids or like let's all talk American, but it would be the equivalent of switching from like. Hi there, y'all. What y'all doing? You know, to to what like, hell? yeah, you you guys get out of the way. You know, it would be it would be like switching from that with it from inside the same sentence and being like, there, I'm talking American. You know, yeah. Well, and, no, it's over here. It's not so much that they do the accent; it's more the adopting of the culture, the um, the mm-hmm. the music and the the stuff, and it's it's kind of like. I don't mind them doing that, but I kind of wish they'd reflect their own society in it. I mean, there is a band called The Streets that have done white boy rap, but they do it really well, and it doesn't mm-hmm. just sound like... They've took this idea of rap and then gone, right, well, what would be the British right. way of doing this? Yeah, but that music isn't for British kids. That music's for American kids. Yeah, we'll tell the, in the American. No, they don't. No, the American kids hear it and go, wow, there's something new going on in Britain, and meanwhile... The British kids are doing the same thing yeah. with the good stuff in America and ado- you know adopting that stuff, and it just gets it, it just mixes back and forth. Mm. It's it's happening more and more. You know, I mean, Doctor Who. I am so amazed and so happy that Doctor Who, which gets name dropped in in Dead Dead Set as a yep. as a children's show. All the things that have been cut off in the prime because this has happened. I want a Doctor Who. It's a kids show. It's not a kid's like show. Kid show. And, <laughs> but now Doctor Who is, you know, people are just, you know, if you go go to like the website Tumblr, which is the just number one website for young artists and hipsters. It's annoying people, but young people who are very into fandom and stuff. 
and it's just Doctor Who everywhere, unabashedly. And they're very no- there's like you know the kids that are kind of nerdy, but there's also very normal kids who've they're now into Doctor Who, and Doctor Who admittedly has set the bar for itself a bit higher, and technology has allowed the budget of Doctor Who to cover computer animation and stuff and look better than it did you know i mean i always thought the writing was sharp on doctor who you know the budget was just really low in in the old days but it 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 just it it just warms my heart that the ideas of the stuff that happened the sci-fi type ideas of doctor who are becoming main mainstream that's the kind of stuff that i love seeing become mainstream it's it, it it's it's awesome and well we're going off off topic a little of bit of course because you're talking was, to me yeah well there was an article in the paper recently just very quickly Stephen Moffat responding to criticisms from people saying that Doctor Who was too confusing and he, he basically responded to it with none of the children who talk to me tell me that they're confused they're ca- and I just, yeah, they're I just thought that was brilliant the kids are understanding it and the adults are going this is confusing yep yep that's a well, that I I just recently watched that movie, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and I saw the I saw I, I did a no no in my book. I saw the remake, but I love the director of the the remake, and every review I read about it is like, you gotta really be sharp on this one because it's such a complicated storyline and it's hard to keep up with, and I'm watching it going, no, it's not really. No. It's it's well, it's I've not only, simplistic. I've, I've, I've only seen the original, but I didn't think it was complicated or hard to keep up with. It wasn't hard to keep up with. It was it was a nuanced story, to be sure, but it just shows how low the bar is on what people think people understand. And people can understand... People follow stuff quite a bit, and in fact, you can tell by the success... Uh, you know, and there's, uh, there's wild success of the dumb shit, too. Mm. But, the, you know, a lot of real... You know, like Lost for being a network TV show was very smart and very weird genre, you know, dare I say even psychedelic style, you know, the, the concepts of it were very esoteric and, and weird. And, you know, Joe Sixpack was just like lost. I love it. You know, and this, yeah, I, I haven't watched it at all, but you know, I'd hear people talking about smoke monsters and interdimensional voids. And it's just like, yes, good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's better than, you know, this side good, this side bad, bash, sticks together stories. And, yeah, there's this weird loop of people thinking that people are stupid and then making stuff for people. And since people have a limited supply of stuff to go through that some of the stupid in, but smart stuff always seems to work you know I mean if you try to go like too intellectual and be kind of snotty about it people will reject that but smart and entertaining I mean mm. Dead Set is pure gore horror movie and stuff but it is it's you know sharp yeah well Dead sharp, Set's sharp, the, sharp. a prime example of what you're talking about it's on one level, it's a visceral horror movie, and you can enjoy it like that. But if you want to investigate that there's a subtext to it, you can investigate on that level as well. It's one of the reasons I watched Star Trek when I was five, and why I'm still watching it now. As a five-year-old, it's whiz-bang science fiction on different planets with funny-looking aliens, yes. and Kirk having a fight every week. And then as an adult, you're sat there going, oh, this is about the Vietnam War. Yep. And it's that kind, of, that kind of stuff will always survive 
and we'll always prosper and we'll probably always have a life after its original urine because you can watch it on the different levels and appreciate what they're bringing to it. And Dead Set works on the level of a commentary on society obsessed with television. And that's oh, yeah. why it's but on a visceral horror level, some of the scenes in this thing are just fantastic. I do want to say, if, there, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you've never seen Dead Set, get yourself out and get a copy from wherever. I don't care where you get it from. It's five episodes. The first one's 45 minutes. The last four are 25. We'll it's just say brilliant. it's available. Yeah, it's available. <laughs> Find it somewhere because it is utterly magnificent. For me, it was the best British television show of the year that it aired. I forget when that is. It's about four years ago now, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, Britain is doing, in the zombie genre, Britain Britain, kind of single-handedly brought it back with with 28 Days Later. and Which uh, Danny doesn't refer to as uh, as being zombies. But they're not referred to as being zombies. Whatever. In, are they? Yeah, I mean, they're you fucking don't... zombies. Get over it. What, you know, functionally, whatever you want to call it, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, is... As far to me, it's the conventions of it has all the conventions of a zombie movie. Yeah. When I saw it, when I saw it, I was what I knew I was. I know a zombie movie when I see it. God damn it! And that was a zombie movie, <laughs> yes. and uh, and it was a damn good one. It was a great one, and uh, it's funny. I just watched. Uh, I I almost forgot to mention this, but I I actually left a note up on my computer. I just saw there's another British zombie movie that was made in 2011. That's sort of that I was hearing a lot about called World of the Dead, The Zombie Diaries. Oh, I've like, seen this... that. Well, eh. All <laughs> oh, right, okay. <laughs> I, 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 I looked it up. It's It has a. It doesn't have the subtext to it. It has a lot of people. It's low budget, and it's sort of that Blair Witch Project style. And it has a lot of, like, come on, we have to run from here to here, and people, like, really into pretending that they're military. Hmm. Like, eh, 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 yeah, but, um... Have you seen Attack the Block? Yes. Which was excellent, wasn't it? The Fantastic. Um, I was toying with the idea of just doing a regular movie review show, and that was going to be the one I was going to kick it off with. All right, well, we won't talk about that here, then, but just to maybe we should it, Maybe good. we should do a show about Attack the Block some maybe point. Maybe we should, because Attack the Block was fantastic. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> especially for people our age, yeah. That was yes, a, it was, it was a brilliant a nice, film trip back to the 80s to me for me in some ways i love that movie all right well should we should we do a, a final i think we should wrap this wrap this wrap up. corpse up yeah. and uh, well i think there is no verses i mean i think we've talked about that before they're both about the same thing in different ways I think Dead Set is a lot more visceral. It's a lot faster paced. But like you say, it was a miniseries. It knew when it was going to begin and when it was going to end. The Walking Dead is, is going on indefinitely, so they have to allow for that. It's the difference, I think, between a lot of British and American science fiction drama or horror drama. Our is very nihilistic. Our version of Star Trek ended with the entire cast being killed in the last episode. Whereas I think The Walking Dead has a glimmer of hope shining through it that i don't think dead set has dead set from the very beginning you kind of know how this is all going to end it doesn't make the ending any less shocking when it does happen but it wouldn't surprise me if the walking dead doesn't quite go as far as the comic version does right in terms of what happens to uh, carl and what happens to rick's wife and the, the baby yeah. 
Well, I, sur- survival in 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 The Walking. It's the there's like a, it's like survival in both of those movies is like a dangling carrot. Yeah. And in The Walking Dead, there's more of a consistent space from distance from the carrot. And in Dead Set, you know, the carrot's under their nose, and then what you know, the donkey with the carrot attached to it is takes off on a full run mm. <laughs> from episode one and keeps getting further away as it goes along. Yeah, the threat level in Dead Set feels more real because it's they're trapped. exponential, yeah, it's exponential. And surrounded by zombies, there is nowhere they can go. Whereas The Walking Dead looks uh, gorgeous because of where it's filmed. Thankfully, it's not just shot in L.A., so it does look different from a lot of other television. But well, they've got this, these wide-open spaces where they can go... Am- yeah, that's America. We we're a lot more spread out here mm. than in other countries. So you can you can go entire episodes really where you don't see a zombie. Mm-hmm. So there is a feeling that they could probably survive and thrive in the right location. And there's like I say, there's a hope to it. There's a humanistic approach to it that this is going to be okay. That a lot of our science fiction doesn't have. A lot of our science fiction is very bleak. Well, well, if if you know, look at look at Britain. You're you're. Well, it's very bleak. Yes. It's an island. It's it's dark. It, it's, it's it's dark. And I live in Rochester, New York. Is the exact is almost you you'd feel at home here in Rochester. It's pretty much the same weather. We have, you know, we don't get a lot of sunlight here in the summer. You get some sun sunshine and you get used to it. In the fall, spring, and winter, it's mostly overcast. It's not as rainy here. It's it's clouds clouds set a mood and and also in europe and in britain people are more compressed on top of each other you know yeah you've got lots of space and when 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 things go bad yeah it goes bad in a lot more immediate up close and personal way and and yeah and this and this in in dead set you can barely turn a corner and there isn't uh some you know a zombie you know on its hands and knees chewing on a corpse you know where mm. I, i've always wondered and i've always figured it was for plot purposes if i was in a zombie apocalypse i would head right to the midwest <laughs> the midwest of if if you've ever been to a, like flown from coast to coast in america you start out on the East Coast and you're looking down and seeing towns and then for three quarters of your flight, you're looking down on nothing going, where is it? You know, there's nothing here. You're seeing you're seeing like fields and stuff with an occasional house or a building, you know, like a storehouse thing. And it's just empty. Of course, it's a plane flight path. So you're going through the emptiest part. But, you know, you fly through, you realize three quarters of the country is just sort of like empty space it's, mm. a, it's amazing so it's it, and it's and it's very weird you would think we would have more of uh our zombie culture would would range more towards the running zombies rather than the the shambling zombies just to make up for that you know just just as a handicap i guess maybe they'd sweat too much in the, the, the georgia sun because so they, they don't run because because basically you know you know how people are always like i don't know maybe they don't do it to you guys's face but you know the british are often you know being are, are often you know seen as being a feat or or not not a, you know as opposed to americans who are knocked down drag out world-class wrestling type kick-ass people where the british are kind of 
effete and polite and stuff. Yet, when the zombie apocalypse goes down in Britain, you're fighting them with knives, no mm-hmm. guns. There's millions of them on top of you. In America, we got them all spread out and we got guns. And in America, they walk like arthritic adults, you know, like <laughs> old arthritic people. So, you know, who's the tough guy here? You know, really, <laughs> when when it comes to zombie movies, we got it really easy here in America. We got slow, dumb, dumb, I mean, indifferent zombies. You've got angry, fast runners. When the zombie apocalypse comes, I think I'd rather have a gun. Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Where do you think well, The Walking Dead's going to go from here? I think, well, the cynical, the cynical observer... Uh, from a TV standpoint, says every TV show has uh, is is shooting for five seasons because that puts it into syndication. Does that can... still work with shows that only do thirteen a year, though? I don't you know. They have to run for a bit longer. I don't know if it's the number of episodes or or it or used whatever. to be sixty-five episodes for syndication, didn't mm-hmm. it? And then mm-hmm. they kind of pushed that up to a hundred. But um, I'm betting that there, you know, that there's there's always that immediate goal. Knowing Kirkman depending on how much it takes out of him that he has to run a comics company and do all his comics stuff too to or you know but he, with a TV show he could always pass it off too if it keeps going i would think i would think as long as it's lucrative they would probably want to keep it ongoing because at the way they're stretching out the story they don't ever have to worry about running out of comics to follow you know i mean yeah well, it's, what it's, do you think? Do you think they'll they'll go as far as the comics have? Do you think they'll do the governor arc in the TV show? Yes. Oh, for sure. They have to. There's people waiting for it. There's people dying for it. There's people petitioning to have Danny Trejo play the oh, governor. Yes. The, yeah, the, 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 I've always thought that from the start, but there's lots. I, I thought I was the only one thinking that, but there's a lot of people thinking Danny Trejo should. He's too old, but God. Damn, it would be great. Yeah. And well, do you think? Do you think Michonne? Is it Michonne or Michonne? Michonne. Right. I do you think. think she'll go that far in the TV show? No, I don't know. It's hard to say because mm. they'll have to. You know, the thing about it is stuff on comic books does to to sell it on TV. Sometimes you have to turn stuff up and turn stuff down, and she's going to be one. They're going. She's one they had to be careful with in the comics too, because she could be just like. You know, a, a kick-ass hot chick with a sword is very, to me, was a danger. When she showed up, I was like, danger, danger, danger. This is fa- very fanboy thing. But, of course, Kirkman probably did that on purpose to, to get you all worked up about it and then made mm. her into a great, into a real character. And they'll probably do something similar to that, but... Um, I, I think they'll down they'll they'll downplay it. There won't be as much say sword play, but there will be. They'll make sure that that you know, because people are gonna love that shit. They're gonna love her character. I can't mm. personally. I'm waiting for Tyrese. I can't wait to get to the prison. I'm hoping Axel's in it. Yeah. And uh, and well, I'm I think dying to the, see Tyrese. With the budget cut you've mentioned, that would be an excellent story to do because it's all one location. Yeah, 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 and and uh, and and they're there for quite a while, mm. and uh, and that it also includes the the governor arc in it too. Um, 
filming in a prison i don't know i, I i'll <coughs> bet you there's actually probably quite a few empty prisons that are yeah. either like waiting to get used or abandoned prison somewhere in georgia that they could use yeah and an abandoned prison would be perfect too because it would already be a little <laughs> disheveled to start out with yeah so so I'll, i i i think uh, I, they've definitely been stretching out the time to where they get in the prison and I'm thinking at first I was like ah I see the end of season one being them see, seeing the prison but now more realistically maybe the end of season two right they might find the prison so but they have a season three so I'm I'm guessing season three that that might be the season three they could probably do season three and season four in the prison if they really wanted to. Yeah. And well, I think that they need to get rid of Shane at some point. That's going to be the, that's going to be, I think, I think the end of this season, the big end of season two. They're, yeah. they're, I mean, they're setting it up, you know, they've certainly, they've certainly set him on the path to cracking. Yes. And, and they've, and they've set up, yeah, they set, they already set up that he teaches Carl how to shoot a gun, which is just, you know, awesome foreshadowing. Yeah. But, <laughs> You know, and and also Shane is a in the in. There's a lot of on. Once again, I go on to Tumblr where all the teenage kids are watching Walking Dead that don't read the comics, and you know it's great because they're just like, my favorite character is Shane. I hope nothing happens to. The, there's a lot of people going. My favorite character is X. I hope nothing happens to him. And it's just like, you know, kid. Don't maybe get attached. You be, maybe you better just stick to Rick for now. You know. <laughs> And even well, then, you know, yeah, even though before still... I read Volume Seven, I mean, I don't know where it goes after that yet because I read it in the hardcovers. But I, I was, I'd have had money on Rick dying and Carl taking over as well, the even, character. Even the fact that Rick has survived the whole time in the comics, if you go, okay, I'm cleaving to Rick because I know he's not going to lie or die, it's not an easy ride for Rick. No, you know, it's still it's not. No. It's not fun to watch what happens to his character. So there's really no, there's, and that's another good thing about the 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 Walking Dead, or another difference with Walking Dead and 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 something like Dead Set is the Walking Dead has a length of time, a long length of time to grind you down, to build you up, to make you love the characters. And you know, I mean, let's face it, you know, they're all pretty much everybody, anybody who's read the comics know. Yeah, everybody's got a little timer over their head, you know, and uh, some of them go worse than others. And, and you know, I mean, people uh, I, and, and I find myself when when I was watching the episode today and they had the scene where somebody asked Dale about his watch and he went into the Faulkner uh, Faulkner quote and he the, the actor plays Dale and they're like, Dale, I noticed that watch. And as soon as they say watch, he breaks into this wonderful grin and it's so totally Dale from the comics. He looks like him. He embodies him naturally. And I'm watching it, and I'm just like, God, I love Dale. He's such a great character, you know. Mm. He's such a – I love that there's an older character who's not just a shamble, you know, a grumpy old man. He's a very competent character, and he's more competent than most of them. And uh, – and I found myself going, oh shit, man! I'm getting all like into a character again, and it's <laughs> it's not going to end well. Him. It's not pretty for him. No. 
and, I, and it's getting ugly for him in the comics where we're reviewing it and it's just all the more and that's just the the genius of kirkman and i get this i get this awesome uh vicarious thrill knowing that there's all sorts of normal people that are going into normal people <laughs> normal people the, the the people who are sleeping right now who are are just their alarm clocks are just going off right now those people are watching this and they're and they have no idea how dark it is down the tunnel they're already in, strapped into the ride though and they they're committed to it i love it i love it <laughs> right and, well. and they're going to love it too I'm I'm very sorry that this didn't turn into a fight over which was best. Yeah, I mean it might have been a popular episode, but I had more fun. I Me had more no. fun just chatting. Well, since I don't dislike either of them, I think Dead Set's awesome, and I think The Walking Dead's a very entertaining television show. Dead Set, if I had to pick one, I would only pick Dead Set only because it's finite, and I do like stories to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. But that's the only reason I'd go for it. If I would pick, I would have to pick Walking Dead because I am American. <laughs> A valid point. <laughs> that's, how we, that's how we make them here in America. Excellent. Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libson.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N.
You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two, Two True, True Freaks. Freaks. Future Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.